Hey guys and welcome to the Because Maybe podcast, the podcast that takes a look at all things 90s and answers some of the most important questions of the decade. Because maybe it's never too early for flapjacks. Probably one of the truest statements I've ever said in these bits. I'm your host John Connolly and thank you for whoever you are, wherever you are, for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. There's probably a word out there that means whoever and wherever at the same time, but, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> this week, we've got a great show for you. We go back to the review corner, where I'm joined by Greg Gregory to talk about Groundhog Day, the return of some 90s trivia, and we have an update on the Movember Drive. Uh, guys, if you were on social media, if you were on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr, uh, look up Because Maybe Pod. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff going on in there. We have our weekly uh, playlists that we get from Spotify. Uh, we have news and updates from uh, the podcasting world, or our podcasting world, I should say. Um, we also have special bonus content, too. Uh, we also have a blog at becausemaybepodcast.wordpress.com. That also kind of gives us more official news kind of stuff but also you know a preview to the week ahead and you know just just all sorts of fun out there but uh on facebook and youtube that's where we put our extra content and we do have some extra content special content coming out this week but here's the thing i need somebody's help with Um, i've asked this the last couple of weeks and i haven't really got many takers if you guys have run a facebook page or have a youtube channel I need to pick your brains just to figure out what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. Uh, please email me, because maybe podcast at gmail.com. Again, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to pick your brains. I'm not looking for somebody to run our social media side of things. I'd like to do it myself because I like to be in control of what we do. But I do need to pick your brains to see if what if how I'm doing things are right or wrong. We are halfway through our first season, too. Um, I'm absolutely tickled pink that we're on episode 7. The last six weeks have almost been surreal to me. But uh, we're on episode 7 now. Uh, We've had some good work. And we're halfway through our first season. Um, I am going to be taking a break on December 20th. That'll be the last episode of the year. And then we'll put some bonus content out in the intervening weeks. But um, I always said I was going to do it that way. That way I can stack the shelf and kind of reorder segments and certain things, you know, just to keep it fresh, just to keep it upbeat and, and you know, lively and whatever. Um, but how have we done? How do you think we've done so far? Again, social media, I just gave you my email address because maybe podcast at gmail.com. Let us know. Let us know how, how good we're doing, how bad we're doing, what we can change, what we can keep what we can get rid of you know so on and so forth how do we improve um i've always been a big believer in the fact that if i'm not being given negative feedback that means that what i'm doing is okay now i'm not asking for negative feedback but what's the best way to say this I can't be accused of doing something wrong and incorrect if I'm not corrected on it when it's noticed. You know, you can't tell somebody who's been doing a great job that they're doing a great job and then, you know, fire them and tell them they're not, they have never been doing a good job. You know, that's that's ridiculous and that's stupid. And sadly, I've known people like that. Um, but we do have some changes that are going into the podcast and we are going to talk about those in a couple of weeks because it's going to be a couple of weeks before they're implemented and there's no point, you know, bringing them up right now, um, mainly due to scheduling, our schedule, our social media schedule and everything like that. Um, but we do have some extra bonus content for you guys. Uh, this last week I was joined by my son and we spoke about Mario 3 and Mario World. He wanted to challenge me on certain aspects of my review recently and he wanted to explain why he thought that Mario World was a better game than Mario 3. 
So, uh, me and him sat down for about 10 minutes, and it's up on the YouTube channel, it's up on the Facebook page, um, it will be pushed out to the podcast feed during our off-season, but, um, if you want to listen to it early, go ahead and, uh, you know, go, go ahead and listen. It's a little bit of fun, it's, uh, you know, like I said, it's about 10 minutes long, and we had a lot of fun recording it, and I think he's got a bright future in the world of video game development, uh, as opposed to maybe public speaking, um, but yeah, this will go out to the feed in a couple of weeks, and if you want to hear before then, again, just look up on our YouTube channel. That's where that kind of content will be held. I'll do things like walkthroughs of video games. We have a video game review coming up, I think it's next week or the week after, and I'll probably do a Let's Play on it. Uh, you know, just, just some, again, just some bonus content, just a little bit of fun, and, you know, something that we can all, all enjoy. So let's look at last week, uh, the final throws of Britpop. Um, that was a fun episode series to do, but it did take a lot out of me, and I did learn one or two things along the way. Um, but the social media question of last week was, would you consider Bush a Britpop band? And we didn't get really as much responses on that one, and nothing substantial, so I think we're going to go with what Sarah said, and probably they would have been, but maybe they shouldn't have been. Uh, the second social media question is, what were your favorite bands, artists, songs, albums, memories of the Britpop era? Got a couple of good responses. Uh, first of all, from Gareth, he said that Pulp Different Class was a great album. Something's Changed was a great song. However, his worst memory is Noel Gallagher climbing up Tony Blair's ass at Downing Street. And yeah, I kind of agree with that, now knowing what we know about Tony Blair. But I think back then it was kind of cool to see the musicians and the politicians of the time kind of getting together because they at, at least seemed like they had the same goal. Now, we know that Tony Blair didn't stay the Tony Blair of that era. And, you know, we'll talk about that more later on down the road. Um, and I could say the same thing about Bill Clinton as Tony Blair. You know, when they were elected, they were this young, hip, cool with it leader and then they've had their legacies tarnished by scandal and we'll go into that another time uh patrick also replied he said marching already by ocean color scene or park life by blur were two of the favorite albums from two of his favorite 90s bands his favorite memory was the day that be here now was released queuing outside of woolworth's to buy the new oasis album does not get more 90s than that. And I completely agree. Uh, all of my CD collection up to about 2003, before I moved to uh, university in Luton, uh, yeah, everything was gotten from Woolworth. So, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was, that's definitely, definitely can't get more 90s than that. And I want to thank those two for writing in. Uh, Kat, again, Kat's, you know, we featured her every week, uh, except for last week, and I want to apologize. Uh, I overlooked this uh, when... We were going through last week's uh, introduction, and she had a couple of things to say about the previous week's question that I figured that I'd mention because it does kind of, you know, does kind of overflow into last week's question. Uh, but she said, in regards of what was the best album of Britpop, Morning Glory, Park Life, Urban Hymns, or Different Class, she said, Morning Glory. She agrees that Blur was a singles band, and lyrically, they're kind of shallow to her. They're fun to listen to, but not meaningful. The Verve, eh, she can't really say. She's interested to go listen to Urban Hymns and form an opinion. Pulp? Eh, sorry. It's an unpopular opinion, she's sure, but she simply doesn't like their sound. Uh, she had the pleasure of being introduced to Oasis by my wife and was completely sold on it. She was kind of snobbish about her music. It had to be grunge or the doors or metal for her to like it. But then Oasis came around and made her consider alternative much more palatable. But um, she also apologized for a long-winded uh, response to a short question. But I think that was a meaningful response. That showed what the music meant to her. 
you know, it changed her way of thinking musically, which I'm still snobby. I I, I got to admit, uh, <laughs> I'm still a complete and utter snob when it comes to music. We did have one other piece of feedback, and I'm going to wrap this up before we dive into uh, Groundhog Day. A couple of you have questioned uh, as to why I censor out certain words. Uh, you probably heard me censoring out uh, when I was talking about Tony Blair a moment ago. Um, there's a couple of reasons why I do that, and I want to explain why I do it and explain why I'm bringing it up here in a minute, because, you know, this is not a personal decision, it's a business decision. And uh, there are certain rules and regulations you have to follow if you want your podcast on iTunes, if you want your podcast through Podbean, and not be ranked and flagged as explicit. Uh, if you have an explicit podcast, you have to do all the logins and you know have to go through a few more hoops, and it's not convenient, especially for a small podcast like ours. So it's not really convenient to jump through all that. So what I do is I just bleep out the bad words and carry on. For the record, I really, you know, there are only a few words that I would completely and utterly censor that I completely agree should be censored and shouldn't really be said. Um, but the words that I've been bleeping out, not so much. You know, I, I, I'll admit I have a potty mouth and I'm not against bad words as long as it's not every other word. Uh, but it's not the fact that I'm censoring words that's been the problem. The problem is the type of sound that I've used to censor the words out. Uh, the audio editing software that I've got does have a range of different... Uh, you know, beeps and sounds, and I was looking for one that sounded respectable or decent, you know, to 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 do that, and a couple of you guys have said, well, it's a little bit sharp if we're listening to it on headphones, it, it just, you know, so I'm looking at using a different uh, sensor sound this week, if I do encounter bad words, I think there's a couple in the, the Groundhog Day, but, um, you know, again, I... I, I speak from the heart when I when I talk about some of the subjects that I'm on. I obviously have my research, but when I you know when I hit the notes, I speak uh, from. It's all spontaneous, and you know if I am if I do get caught in the moment, I do let the odd wordy dude slip out, and you know to keep myself on a certain level so that I'm not flagged as explicit, so that it doesn't kind of it, you know squeeze the audience and the potential audience, you know. I have to censor these out, and I have to, you know, I have to be responsible. I have to be a grown-up about it, whether I like it, the idea, or not. So I do censor them out, and I'm going to continue censoring them out, but loud and clear on censor them out a different way, because, yeah, that's probably not the best way to do it. So with all that out of the way, let's go to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, where me and Greg Gregory talk about Groundhog Day. Review Corner, the big screen. This week on Review Corner, we take a look at one of the best movies made in the 90s, and not just in the 90s, of all time. And to go through with discussion on why this is one of the best movies of the 90s, I am joined once again by Greg Gregory. Greg, how are you, man? hey Doing good, doing good. It's awesome. Review Corner, the big screen. So, this week on Review Corner, we are going to look at one of the greatest movies that was ever made. Uh, one of the greatest movies made in the 90s, and definitely one of the greatest of all time. And because of that, I am joined once again to discuss this by Greg Gregory. How are you doing, Greg? Hey, what's up? How's it going? And one more time. Okay, I'm not going to do the joke again. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't guessed, we are talking about Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day is now considered one of, uh, not just one of the 90s greatest movies, but one of the greatest movies of all time. Mainly because of its uh, themes and its 
definitely its cast, its writing, all of it, it was all top quality, and we're going to discuss why it was awesome here today. So uh, let's dive right into it. This is something that, I mean, we've both seen this movie how many times? Dozens. Dozens. Um, it's just, it's Bill Murray at his finest, Harold Ramis at his best directing. Very rarely have a perfect cast, and this, I think, was definitely a perfect cast and crew to work on it. Absolutely. So uh, it is a comedy movie, uh, which is weird. It's more like a comedy drama. I think there's, I think there's elements of uh, comedy, romance, uh, drama. There's a little bit, a little bit of everything in it. The good thing about it is, is it's not laugh a minute. You know, it's not every every time Bill Murray's on camera, he's winking and nodding and you know, cracking a joke or two. Yeah. It's you know, it's very very subtle. The humor, subtle and smart, <laughs> which we'll get to here in a little while. Uh, it's directed by Harold Ramis. Um, if you are unfamiliar with that name. Children of the 80s will remember him as Egon in the Ghostbusters. So we have a mini Ghostbusters reunion right here. Uh, it was produced by Trevor Albert, along with Harold Ramis. And Harold Ramis uh, actually helped tweak the script that was originally written by a guy called Danny Rubin. Now, Rubin uh, didn't do too many movies after this point. He kind of went back and he's currently, uh, you know, a lecturer at Harvard. You know, so, I mean, he did like three or four other things, but nothing really on this scale. Some people spend years and years and years working on their, the greatness of what they want to do. Some people for songs, some people it's movies. Was it James Cameron took 10 years to make Avatar or something like that? He only wrote Groundhog Day as kind of a carrot to get his foot in the door with some uh, writers' unions in Hollywood. So, you know, the, I always thought that was great. Uh, it was produced and distributed by Columbia Pictures, released on the 12th of February in 1993, did $70.9 million at the box office, and this was before movie tickets were like $500 a piece, and, you know, popcorn was like a million. Uh, right. <laughs> you need to be a drug dealer to go to the movies these days. And according to the Journometer, which is, again, the, the rating that it ranks movies uh, using stats from IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes, we have an 88 out of 100 rating. Fair? Yeah, I mean, I'd say either 88 or, I don't know, I'd push it up in the 90s, but, I mean, if you count all the all the stats, then, yeah, I mean... I mean, you can see why, you'd see why it's, it's ranked highly up there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so this, this movie is, is a little bit hard to explain if you've not seen it. If you have seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But a little bit of a background first. Um, the writer of the movie, Danny Rubin, uh, was at the movie theater, and he had this idea, and the idea is if a person could live forever and a person was immortal, how would they change over time? And I th that's a really, really strong philosophical question. Because if you could live forever, and you knew that you had no consequences as to your actions, would you be a good person? Would you be a bad person? Would you exploit your situation? You, you know, it's very, very... I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it. Very, very um, thought-provoking, just in the premise alone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I, think, I think they did a good job of developing all the different layers of what could happen if your average Joe was in that situation. You know, obviously there was, there was a little bit of frustration. There was yep. a little bit of um, um, manipulation. And I know we'll go into detail about that later, but yeah. And what he wanted to do is after he realized that his immortal idea would be too expensive to film, especially for like a, I don't want to say novice film writer, but for someone who wasn't well known, he, ch he tweaked it so that instead of somebody living forever... It was somebody repeating the same day over and over again, but having complete memory of his repeating. Right. So with that, 
it would show growth of the character while everyone else around them stayed the same, which right. which is something we'll get to here in a minute because this is something subtle that I noticed while putting the research together for this. Uh, Harold Ramis was uh, given this script from a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, like most movies are back then, uh, like most movies were back then, and uh, he loved it. He thought that this was this would be something really, really good to do, maybe a couple of script tweaks here or there, but it definitely would be perfect to film. And it is, again, it is a unique concept. I don't think anybody had done a movie like that before, and I don't think anybody has done it since. It's a very, very original movie idea. I mean... It's got... On the one hand, it's, it's very, very original. It does have elements of, like, a Christmas carol when you think about it. It's like, if you, you know, if, if you don't change, this is going to happen. Whereas, <laughs> I guess for lack of a better term, spoiler alert, 24-year-old movie, uh, Phil had to change, Bill Murray's character, Phil Connors, he had to change to get out of the situation he was in. Right, and, and and for all intents and purposes, for the better. Yes. Because, as, you know, once again, spoiler alert, he delved down several different paths, some that were more darker yeah. and upbeat than others. And if he couldn't do it, you know, if he, if, if, if throwing himself off a cliff didn't uh, bring the next day around, he had to definitely change the person. Um, right. One of the things that, now the reason it, it's Groundhog Day, growing up, Young lad in the uh, in the foothills of the South Wales Valleys in the United Kingdom, I say the United Kingdom, the foothills of Wales. Groundhog Day is not something we look at in the UK. Yeah, no, I mean that is an American holiday. And what's interesting about that is that when the film was shipped out worldwide to places like France and Russia, they were given alternate titles yes. because people they were afraid that people would not identify with what they were talking about. And as British, we we'd fig- we'd figure it out. We ca- we kind of knew what Groundhog Day was, but it wasn't like. It was one of those, if it was mentioned to us, it kind of, we'd, we'd rack our brains for a minute. Right. I mean, the idea of a, a, a rodent weatherman, uh, right. just, you know. I only mean, in America. Only in America. Um, but the reason Groundhog Day as a day was chosen specifically is uh, Danny Rubin, the writer, wanted this to be a movie that could be played year-round, but also be played on a specific day. So he was looking for like a minor holiday that he could go, oh, look, it's... I don't know. It's 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 Groundhog Day. Let's play this movie on Groundhog Day. Wouldn't it be great? You know that that kind of thing. Because there's movies about Christmas, Thanksgiving, Halloween, Fourth of July, Fourth of July, St. Patrick's Day, Valentine's Easter. Day. Yeah, they're all yeah. out there. So taking a minor holiday, kind of boosting it for the rest of the world. Right. Because again, the idea of a you know a weather forecasting rodent just you know still probably more accurate than the ones on TV today though. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. What's another thing that's interesting about that? It's kind of a personal side note. Um, Groundhog Day is February 2nd. Um, my birthday is actually February 3rd. And when this movie came out, I was, uh, the tender age of 10 years old. So to me that, you know, back when your birthdays actually meant something. Yeah. When it meant you're going to get a cool present or have a party. It was just absolutely torture just to mentally go through what, um, uh, Phil, you know, Bill Murray's <laughs> character was going through. It was absolutely like, it's never going to be my birthday. Right. I mean... Yeah, that time, we, my birthday's closer to the two. I'm January 30th, and I was nine when this came out. And my mother uh, taped it off the TV, because that's what we used to do back then, kids. Before TiVo, we used to get VCR. Anyway, that's another story for another day. And uh, she she would get mad at me for watching this. This is not a movie that a nine-year-old typically watches, but I was just, I was fascinated by it. It was just, some, there, was something, there was something about it, and we'll get into it you know, a while later on, but it was just, it was unique. Yeah, it was very, no, very, very, very different um, movie-wise. Like, yeah, 
And part of that is the genius of Harold Ramis. Yes, definitely. Because um, if you look at anything that he's had his hands on, like the, uh, this one, Orange County, and a few yep. others, definitely a lot had to do with Ramis. Like you were saying before, he, he came in and made some pretty sweeping changes that yeah. we'll go into detail on in here in a minute. And the, the, the good thing about it, though, is in working with a writer like Danny Rubin, and I don't know the man personally, I don't know anything about him professionally or anything like that, but it seems like he was very, very comfortable with the changes that Harold Ramis wanted to make to the script. Oh, Harold Ramis is a legend. True, true. Yeah. But you, you hear stories like, I mean, we spoke about when we did Wayne's World a couple of weeks ago, Mike Myers was very, very unreceptive to script changes. Yeah, from, creative differences. Yeah, yeah. but he he rolled with it. And, you know, that's that's the mark of a good, someone who's willing to be, you know, a good writer. Um, one of the things that they wanted that was in the original script was trying to explain why... Phil Connors was in a time loop, and it was written in the first three, four, five drafts, and ultimately, it was changed. In fact, they re the the very, very opening ten minutes of the movie before the first loop starts was shot a couple of months after production had been done because it just seemed so. It seemed so corny, you know. The original idea was that a spurned lover would have put like a hex on on it or something like that, and something like that immediately. Cheesy makes the movie cheesy. You yeah, know. I, I, I put a, I put a curse on you. You know. Yeah, they they. I think uh, leaving it open to interpretation kind of like enhanced it. And it it and it also led to the whole um, psychological aspect of it. Yeah, because there, there's there's from from all the information that I've got, there's um, psychologists, yeah. um, religious people that that can all somehow equate the this movie to you know. Um, psychoanalyzation, for instance, definitely because you're repeating the same things over and over again, like you would in psychoanalysis. It's very metaphysical. Absolutely. I mean, the, we, the, there are theories, and we'll go into them later, ranging from you know a spurned lover to that Phil is actually dead, and this is his own personal purgatory. Yeah, but they chose you to know, start off the movie with him um, leading just, a normal life. Yeah, just given the weather, just showing, giving some uh, topographical information, which I think was a really, really smart move, and showing he, how much of a pain in the. Yeah, um, he definitely undergoes a change throughout the movie. Yes. It's some for good and for bad, but in the beginning you get like a litmus test, if you will, like a baseline of what kind of person he was on a normal basis. Yeah, so how far low could he go and then how high could he go? Exactly. So for those of you who haven't seen the movie, we're going to do a little bit of a basic plot that uh, TV weatherman Phil Collins is a cynical and... Is Phil a Connors. Phil Connors. Did I say Phil Collins? <laughs> oh, Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, okay, let me start that again, uh, but I'm keeping that in. Uh, TV weatherman Phil Connors is cynical to say the least, and having yet again to go to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania on February 2nd to see if Punxsutawney Phil sees his shadow. He's grumpy with his segment producer, Rita, and downright ugly with his cameraman, Larry. He doesn't take this shadow business at all seriously, but the next morning he wakes to find out he's repeating the day and repeating the day and repeating the day. Initially, he starts fighting against what is happening, but in time, accepts what's going on. He has no choice. <laughs> he has no choice. And decides to use this opportunity to become a better person. He learns new skills, like piano playing and ice carving, and soon become the most admired man in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Yeah, there's actually a deleted scene where he's uh, playing pool. Yes. He got really good at pool, and um, he would bet on sports and stuff like yeah. that, and stuff that would be, uh, work in his favor. Yeah, he, he definitely did try and... Uh, it's kind of like, the, was it Back to the Future 2, where he takes the almanac back to 1953 yeah. and makes all these, you know. So it's it's definitely a lot of that in there. Um, this movie stars Bill Murray as Phil Connors. The the abominable Bill Murray. 
this is the he, perfect role for him. He's too. out. Yeah, uh, there was there was a lot of other people that they um that they had in mind for it, and yeah. I think they they and some good some big names, but they really hit the head on the, uh, the nail on the head, head with that. And I think that some of the other actors mentioned, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. Yeah. I think would also have made a good fill, but for different reasons. They sure. could have pulled the same character development off and the same comic timing. But they would have had a very, very different interpretation. And maybe the movie would still be just as fondly remembered. But it would have been different. But it would have been different. The delivery yeah. by Bill Murray was second to none. Uh, he had Andy McDowell as Rita Hansen. Uh, very, very underrated performance in this movie. All the talk of this movie, we will talk about Bill Murray pretty much the whole time. Because this is, some people consider this a one-man movie. But Andy McDowell... Very, did very a good, really, really good job. Strong supporting role. Strong supporting role, and yeah. sadly, criminally overlooked when it comes to when people talk about Groundhog Day. Absolutely. Yeah, Chris Elliott as Larry the Cameraman. I love him. He, yeah. He was really good, and there's something about Mary. <laughs> yes. He's absolutely hilarious. In he that. plays that slimy, sleazy, creepy guy who, for some reason, you like very, very well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's uh, creepy, but he's like relatable, real world creepy. Yeah. Yeah, he, like uh, kind of ha-ha creepy, not that, ha-ha, I'm going to do something terrible to yeah. you, creepy. He's just like, he, he's got that look, he's got that look of somebody you don't trust, but for some reason you trust him. It's because he's you hilarious. Know. He as is. Well. You had Bill Murray's brother, Brian Dahl Murray, playing Buster Green. Wasn't he the mayor? Yeah, he was, not. wasn't the mayor, but he was the, um, he was the big wig at the uh, festival. The, oh, grand like, ma- the Grand Marshal or yeah. the organizer or something like that. Yeah, he Bill Murray is actually um, the third oldest of his six brothers. <laughs> Didn't know that. Uh, Brian Doyle Murray is the second oldest of his six brothers. And this is the second movie review that we've spoken about a character played by Brian Doyle Murray because he was in uh, Wayne's World. Yes, he as was. Nolan. He was. Uh, yeah, yeah. That man had no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is true. And also. And I know I mentioned I'm 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 harkening back to Wayne's World, but one of the things I spoke with in Wayne's World was my admiration for Del Preston. This movie also has a character like that where I could just watch a movie of this guy all day. Stephen Toblowski as Ned Ryerson. Yeah, Ned Ryerson, man, that's that's a <laughs> stupendous character right there. It, it it is it is fantastic. Um, this movie had a this movie wasn't just you know didn't just have a lock one on on the screen with uh you know the metaphysical discussions and the the morality and etc there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes made the behind the scenes just as interesting as the movie itself yeah i mean bill murray was bitten twice by the family of groundhog yeah um that's why in a lot of the later scenes cuz they shot this movie in sequence and a lot of the later scenes he wore gloves all the time because he had to have stitches and rabies yeah he, uh, he, the groundhog actually, they, they did a scene later with the groundhog when he was driving the, yeah. the truck, the groundhog actually bit through the glove. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. But yet we take weather advice from these guys. Stop. Yeah. I don't understand it. Um, it's but, the only job where you can be entirely wrong and still have a job the next day. That you just and, totally fail at your job. That and politician, regardless right. of which political party you're involved in. Right. Um, whenever he would, he would sit down with Harold Ramis, Bill Murray would, and they would be discussing a scene, and Harold Ramis would start launching into this diatribe over what the scene is about and how Murray should act it, and every time Murray would go, wait, whoa, 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 let me ask you a question. Good Phil, bad Phil. And as soon as he'd say good Phil or bad Phil, that was the end of the conversation, because he, Bill Murray didn't need those act. I'm not saying Bill Murray is like a great traditional actor in the sense of traditional actors, but if you tell Bill Murray, 
who knows his characters inside and out, not through a method style, but definitely, you know, he, he gets into them psychologically. Yeah. If you tell him you've got to be a good good the good part of you or the bird part of you, he knows what to do. He he doesn't necessarily need the the, the hand holding. But um Bill Murray played the piano in every scene but the big concert. Yeah, um, and you know, another fact, he actually couldn't read sheet music. Yes. So he learned everything by ear. That, see, I can't do that now. I mean, right. I, I, you know, I play bass and I play guitar and I learned a lot of it by ear because that's the way I was taught. Yeah. But on the piano, man, there's way too many keys. Forget about that. That's yeah, not definitely. happening. That's, <sighs> piano's one of the hardest instruments to learn. I've tried. Piano and violin. My yes. son's taking the violin right now and it's absolutely painful right now. <laughs> I would say it gets better, but it takes a good three years of practice. Trust me, my never mind. Yeah, I can't love you. Um, the scene where Bill Murray, uh, where Phil and Rita are in uh, his room and she falls asleep and he's reading, is based on Bill Murray's actual wedding night, where his wife drank too much champagne and fell asleep. So he just read until he fell asleep, which is a nice, I guess, personal touch to put in there. Um, I don't know if this was Harold Ramis's idea or Bill Murray's idea, because those two were very, very close until this movie. See, what most people don't what most people don't know is that the reason that they fell out, uh, Bill Murray was going through a divorce from said wife, and during that he would call Harold Ramis about the production, but he'd usually do it like at one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. And Harold Ramis just wanted to get to sleep. So in the end, he sent the scriptwriter, Danny Rubin, to Bill Murray to iron out everything that he had with his character so that, you know, he wouldn't get these phone calls at four o'clock in the morning. And Bill Murray kind of saw that as a betrayal and practically didn't speak to him for the rest of Ramus's life. Yeah, because, uh, you know, they, they have ties that go back to, the, you know, the early 80s. Yeah. They were both stars in Ghostbusters. Yep. They, you know, um... um Bill Murray had had executive producer credits on projects that they were intertwined with. Um, also, a little side note before I forget, I actually had the pleasure of meeting Harold Ramis once. Really? Yes. That's uh, awesome. I was uh, I was bartending at a bar uh, bar and grill here in town, and I'm walking down the bar, and I look over, and it's Harold Ramis and um, Michael Sarah. Nice. Yeah, and I stopped and talked to him for a minute. He was really nice. Shook my hand. I told him that I, I, I loved him as Egon, loved Orange County, <laughs> loved Groundhog Day. Uh, yeah, I was very, very fortunate to have uh, bumped in. It was so random. I was geeking out big time when I saw him. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think we all would, too. I mean, because, you know, I mean, he was Egon in Ghostbusters, and a lot of people saw that. But I think as, a art, as an artist, quote-unquote, his best work was behind the scenes. Oh, and absolutely. How he, and, you know, as a director and a producer. A good actor, don't get me wrong, but, I, you know, his, 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 what in my mind, he's made, he's, definitely going to be remembered for is his you know kind of like ron howard now yeah you know he he was an actor first and now he's now he's a top-notch director producer and meme um yeah uh, <laughs> also uh harold ramus had a cameo in the movie he directed uh orange county and i i that to me that was one of the funniest scenes in the in the movie where the, uh he asked for a tylenol and they ended up giving him a party drug instead <laughs> and he's like he's like sitting there rubbing himself like Oh yeah, he totally he totally sold it. It was so hilarious. <laughs> Egon is eat out. Um, but I mean, talking to cameos, Harold Ramis did have a cameo in this movie. He played the uh, the neurologist who Bill Murray's character went to see, like in the second or third loop. He's like, okay, I, I is that something going wrong? Right. Yeah. For an MRI, and that's a that's a that's a reasonable uh, reaction, I'd say. Yeah. 
I'm, and the, the thing is about Harold Ramis too, he always, again, I'm not trying to say he was or he wasn't, so, you know, if you got hit mail, send it to Sarah. He always played intelligent characters. And I don't mean in, I'm so intelligent that I'm, I'm above you, but very, very, you know, he, he always played a doctor or he played a psychiatrist or something. Dean of the school. Yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's a very intelligent man. He was able to pull off very, very intelligent roles without being condescending, unless, of course, the part required him to be condescending. In directing the snowball fight towards the end of the movie, that got very, very real very, very quickly. Yeah, you could tell they weren't holding back. No, they were told, the kids were told, throw those snowballs as hard as you can until Murray. Just beam him. Yeah. And as soon as the one hit him in the face, you could tell, like, even though he was acting through it, like, okay, I'm going to get you, you could tell he was yeah, really it, at that. And it's like, on now. And, and yeah, the war had begun. But we mentioned it earlier, um, the one thing that the, that the Raiden had was restraint. Uh, they looked at some of the dark things that Phil could do, but they didn't go too far into dark, dark behavior. They, no. I mean, they delved into a little bit, like the um, the uh, truck and railroad track scene, yeah. um, all these different uh, suicides, like the toaster in the bathtub, yes. jumping off the um, clock tower, blah, 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 blah. You know? I mean, you could, ha- you could have, you, I mean, you know, you could have a laugh and a joke about a drunken high-speed police chase down railroad tracks. Or when he robbed the, um, the um, armored truck. Yeah. Just yeah. by walking over and grabbing when nobody was looking. That's one of my favorite scenes. Like Just... the wind, the wind blows. One, two, car, three, <laughs> four. Yeah, so 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 good. And I mean, you can, like I said, you can get you can get like a joke or two out of that, you know, because it's a visual gag and ha 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 ha. But I mean, they deliberately avoided you know torture, murder, stuff like that because you you can't make jokes like that. And then at that point, the character is irredeemable. Yeah, you can't come back from that. And also, um. Yeah, it, it 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 yeah. I think you really just hit the hit it right on the uh, head there. You can't really come back from that. No. Like if you'd have done something unspeakable, yeah. Like you're just like, I'm done with this character. He's a murderer now. I can't I can't take him seriously. Yeah, he did something terrible, and I yeah. Well, he saved the old man for no. He he yeah, but he killed him five loops ago. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, as I mentioned earlier, Danny Rubin wanted to start the movie with him in Groundhog Day. And already living through the the problems that he you know not the problems but the you know what was going on with like a voiceover, and as we mentioned, it was a good idea that they switched that. But just how different would that be with a voiceover? It would have changed the dynamic of it. It would given it like a like a Wonder Years kind of feel. I mean, you know? w- would you have? I guess this is, this is a question. Would you have Bill Murray do the voiceover, or would you have somebody else do the voiceover? Because for example, um. A couple of years ago, there was a movie that was released that was pretty meh. Uh, it was Ben Stiller and Drew Barrymore in a movie called Duplex. I don't mm, know if you've ever seen that. I did movie. not catch that one. Well, at the beginning or the end of the movie, there is a, a voiceover narration by Danny DeVito, who was directing that movie. Okay. So, looking through the production, unless you had, if Bill Murray wouldn't do it, or shouldn't have done it, I guess Harold Ramis would have been the only other person to do, like, you know... The exposition over the top of day one of Groundhog. Uh, I would have got uh, Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> so Phil, is that the Groundhog Day? Yeah, just yeah. As a side note, find Gilbert Gottfried reading Fifty Shades of Grey. You'll have the the. It'll be the funniest thing ever. Oh, wow, I bet uh, that's a laugh right. Um, one of the inspirations behind this movie, because I mean, it wasn't just you know him thinking of this question, then writing a script of the Danny Rubin did have some inspiration, and one of them was uh, the interview with the vampire, the novel, because this was before the movie was made, obviously. Right. But um, you know, just just an immortal being doing something over and over again. Also, Andy McDowell 
they again very very overlooked when it comes to this movie and, and her contribution to it. I'm looking through my notes and anything that was anything that you know struck out as uh, interesting about Annie McDowell's background in this movie, and the only thing I could find was she wanted to use her natural South Carolinian accent, which is a very very thick South Carolinian accent. So she says, "I do declare." I do declare a lot. Yes, she drinks a few mint juleps. Uh, <laughs> no, sweet vermouth uh, on the rocks with a twist. With a twist. That was actually Harold Ramis's favorite, wife's favorite drink. Hmm. So there you go. Um, as far as the Tom Loop itself, and this is this is where the movie got interested. Now, again, I explained it, explained it briefly, but going into in depth, what happened was February second happened. Phil woke up, did his day how he would have done it, found out that because of a blizzard that he incorrectly predicted was going to sweep away, was blocking his path from Punxsutawney to Philadelphia. I think is where they yeah, were based out of. It was either Pittsburgh or Philly. It was one of them. They were blocking. They were stuck. In Punxsutawney, he goes. He gets cold shower because they got no hot water. He's just really, really ticked off, and he goes to bed at like six o'clock in the afternoon. Passes out. Wakes up at six a.m. the next day. Hey, it's time for us to go home. And he notices that the radio is playing the same tape as and, I said. And they said this exact same thing they said the, the, yeah, the day before. He's like, okay. He he's he's thinking to himself, it's February second. I'm just having a really strong case of deja vu. And he's, you know, it's it's alluded to that he's confused and... Did a little disoriented. Yeah. Yeah. And then by the time it happens the second... By the time it repeats the second time, so we're in loop three, he finally realizes, oh, sh- I'm repeating the same day. Oh, <laughs> crap, what do I do? And in the movie, there are 38 days he, yeah, depicted. He, yeah, he gets a little desperate once he realizes what's happening. He starts... Yeah. He uh, kind of... Violent, not not violently. He kind of just reacts harshly to all the people yeah. that are interacting with them, quote unquote, for the first time. Like he, they they don't they don't know. I mean, you know, the, yeah. the, the guy in the hotel room where he just pins up against the wall, starts screaming at him. Yeah, the guy's like whoa 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 whoa. Yeah, and then he tries to play it off as a joke. You know. Yeah. Um, but thirty eight days are depicted in this movie, either in full or partially. So you've got February first, February third, which you know the day before and the day after. Spoiler alert, he does get out of the loop. Um, and then 36 different iterations of Groundhog Day, being full days, like the first and final days of the loop, to just simply him smashing the, full, the the alarm clock as the loop starts again. Yeah. But the loop itself is fascinating because, not just because it's like metaphysical and, you know, one of the questions that's always asked about Groundhog Day is this. How long was Phil Collins trapped? In Groundhog Day, uh, zero would be the answer because it was Phil Connors, not Phil Collins. Dang it! I said Phil Collins again. <laughs> okay, you know what? I no, can I no. can feel it coming in the air tonight. <laughs> Jesus loves me, uh, and he knows I'm right. So <laughs> yeah, there's actually there's uh, I think they left that open ended for a lot of reasons, but I there, I think there's some empirical evidence that can point to precisely how long it was. And we've got some right here. We've uh, Literally spent minutes scouring the internet because, you know, that's what research is. Nobody goes near deep unless you're a journalist. Well, you're not going to find anything by, about Groundhog Day in the, the Encyclopedia Britannica from 1993. So, oh. you know. Still a better source than Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> but um, there are five different, uh, five different, not people, but five different sources who claim different things. Uh, three of them are... Uh, movie and pop culture websites, and two of them are the writers and directors themselves. So, Wolf Nods, 
What a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> name that is. <laughs> his his mama loved him. So, but I, I guess I guess that's a play on the dog's which is a British phrase. Um, Wolf Mallet say that he spent eight years and eight and a half months um, locked in Groundhog Day. I'm 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 bored with that one because in order for him to obtain all the skills that he had, yeah, he would have taken at least around a decade. Yeah, he he couldn't become a master ice sculptor and a and master, master pianist, pianist yeah. or a pool player, you know, overnight. The movie, the movie Truth website calculated twelve years, six months, and eleven days. Yeah, I buy that. Harold Ramis believes that it was ten thousand years. I wanted it to be ten thousand years. He, he, uh, uh, before his death, he was actually um, at a uh, interview for something, and someone asked him about the Groundhog Day loop, and he said he felt like now that a- after the movie was done, it was closer to ten. Yeah. So that was kind of his official on that. Writer Danny Rubin said it was just a lifetime. Anything, so that could be anything from 60 to 100 years. Yeah. And uh, two websites, What Culture and Obsessed with Film, had a five-day discrepancy between their own calculations, so I'm just calling that as one. And they calculated it as just under 34 years. And that is with every day, uh, his growth as a character, the fact that he was able to learn everything that was going on around town at the same time every day, and... The skills that he became a master ice sculptor, master pianist, plus his personal growth of being this disgruntled, disheveled person. Because remember, at the beginning of the movie, he he the last place on earth he wanted to be was in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. He felt like he was too good for it, like it was uh, like a, yeah. And at the end of the last loop, it's almost like he's lived there a lifetime, or in his mind, a lifetime. And it's oh, like, he basically has. He, he basically has, and he's like, let's just live here. Andy, Andy McDowell's character actually uh, asked him uh, at one point and during the loop when they're walking around town. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like you know this place, you know, really, really well. And he's like, oh, well, I spend a lot of time here. And yeah. It's just it's just little th- little throwaway things. And that's that's one thing that I love about this movie is it wasn't just the big things. It was the little things that, that not a lot of people notice. And, and I'll admit, I've seen this movie so many times. It's only on learning this fact and watching the movie back. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. This it's one of those movies where you can watch it tons of times, and every time you watch it, you'll see something that you missed. Yeah. I love movies like that personally. So, and one of them, for example, right, was when um, one of the saddest scenes in the movie is when he takes a homeless guy to the hospital, and it turns out that the homeless guy was really, really sick, and sadly he died. And as Connors is going through this rant of, you know, that, that, that save the man, please, you know, just like he, practically begging for the guy's life. You notice there's a kid in the background with a broken leg. Well, that's because in the very final loop, uh, Phil is looking at his watch and he runs and he runs under a tree with his arms open like he's trying to catch something and a little boy falls out of the tree into his arm. What's well, the same kid? Yeah. So if he's not there, the kid's breaking his leg. There's a little uh, foreshadowing there. Yeah. Um, there was a scene where uh, Phil destroyed his hotel room, like slashed the pillows, painted on the walls, shaved his head. But it was cut not because it didn't fit the movie. I thought that would, be, that would have been a cool thing to do. But the editing technology back then, they couldn't get the shot right for as the camera zoomed through the destruction and then zoomed back and everything back into place. Yeah, this is back before they were using um, the heavy... Uh, it's computer editing and stuff like no, that. They they were probably still using tape. Yeah, no, that probably definitely still using tape. Um, Ned Ryerson 
one of my favorite, one of the highlights of this movie. And it's because he's so over the top. And the disdain that Phil Connors has for Ned Ryerson, yet he's so oblivious to it. Yeah, and and the nasally voice, the oh. him describing himself, he's like, "Remember, I got the scabies and almost didn't graduate." <laughs> yes, it's like, it's like what a thing to be remembered by. the th- The thing is, the funny part about it is now, in my lifetime, I have held a life insurance license. I was legally allowed to sell life insurance products, and the character of Ned Ryerson was based off of uh, Stephen Tobolowsky, and I probably butchered that. I'm horrible. Hubble up. Kabalowski, I Kabalowski, think it is. Yeah. It was based off his personal insurance agent. So the over-the-top and always constantly pushing insurance in well, your you, face. You gotta be personable, but yeah. you gotta, I mean, you gotta eat too, so you gotta push it a little bit. Yeah. Well, after the movie was released, <laughs> I'm laughing at this, after the movie was released, he bumped into his insurance salesman, and he thought, oh crap. He's going to slice me apart. <laughs> and he actually got thanked for portraying insurance agents as accurately as possible. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, not, not, just, um, not just anything. Even though the movie wasn't filmed in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, uh, Punxsutawney is now like this huge touristy destination that, you know, everybody just loves to go to. Yeah, it was actually Woodstock, Illinois. Now, is that the same Woodstock? Or... My geography's um, off, so... I've... I'm not 100% sure on that, because, like, in America, there can be 14 Springfields, you know, there's, yeah. like, two or three Houstons, there's two or three Atlantas. There's only so one York. <laughs> right. I didn't want to say either way, but it's actually, there's actually um, spots there where they've marked yeah. where uh, uh, Phil Connors, you know, walked, so that's pretty cool. Phil Collins stepped in the puddle here. Yep. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Bill Murray, Stephen Tobolowsky, and Harold Ramis have been the Grand Marshal of the Groundhog Day Festival since, which I think is pretty, pretty cool. That is cool. Um, the constant phone calls between Bill Murray and Danny Rubin kind of changed the script from a jokey joke laugh a minute to the introspective movie that we've got now. Yeah, it's pretty deep. So, but that, but that might not have happened if the producers, of the production company, I should say, Kind of got a different actor. Now, Andy McDowell was nailed on to play Rita. The only other person that was uh, in consideration of all people was Tori Amos, which I didn't know she could act. I, I honestly didn't. I, I, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, I, I don't think that would have been a good choice, personally. I, I, I can't see it myself. I think it's Amos, but yeah, it just seems like um, McDowell was like perfect person for that. Definitely. But here are a list of names that were considered for... Phil Collins. Hey, <laughs> Phil Collins. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, that one was on purpose. Okay. Uh, those are people who were for uh, Phil Collins. It was, uh, and remember, these guys were big in the early 90s, so if we look at them now and you judge them on 2017 versions, just remember, these guys were, were pretty huge in the early 90s. You had Alec Baldwin. I don't think that would have worked in the slightest. No, I don't think he's animated enough, sarcastic enough. Howie Mandel. That might have worked. Yeah, I just... Can't picture him with anything other than Bobby, though. Um, I'm going to jump around because I'm going to get to the ones that I think would work last. Kevin Klein. Yeah. Travolta. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Harrison Ford. Definitely no, not. No, definitely not. Uh, Mel Gibson. Heck no. No. Kevin Costner. No, no. 
but who I think might have worked if these guys were approached, and I'll tell you who I think was the be- the be- would have been the best one. Billy Crystal might have worked. Hey, the, the groundhog, will he see his shadow? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's confusing to me. Robin Williams. Hey, hey guys, you want to go see the groundhog? He's going to see a shadow. Oh, he's like, there I am. It's six more weeks I winner. <laughs> yeah, that'd have been good. Chevy Chase could have done it, I yeah, think. That, yeah. But I think if uh, Bill Murray hadn't have done it, the best person to have, to, to have stepped in would have been Steve Martin. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're very... Um, Similar. Akin, absolutely, yeah. And I'll go so far as saying, and this is sacrilege, thinking of it, I think, I think Steve Martin might have been a better choice to play Phil Connors, but that's the Phil Connors we see, which we wouldn't have got without Bill Murray because Bill Murray insisted on certain scripting and character changes. And again, fair play to uh, Harold Ramis and Danny Rubin that, that they were receptive to because they... Th- if Bill Murray says, I think my character should wear a green hat and dance the Fandango, go ahead, man. Yeah. You, know, you know your character. You know what you're doing. Right. So, I mean, but like I said, just imagine Alec Baldwin. I, I just, this, you I, can't I, do it, can you? I mean, no. you, you see this all the time. Well, certain, certain, certain people you know, uh, audition for this role. You read a list and it's like, you really thought you could get the part? That would be like, that would be like Robin Williams being in Rocky. Yeah. As Rocky Balboa. Stallone as <laughs> Phil Connors. It's a groundhog, see his shadow or not, man. Hey, Ned Fryerson, how you doing? <laughs> hey, man. He would have yeah. gone rainbow style after like the fourth loop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dan! <laughs> one, one of the uh, biggest themes of this movie is immortality. Is it looks at we look, we've got four basic things that 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 is talked about in the movie in terms of themes. We have immortality. I mean, what would you do if you lived forever? Would you know? Would you become a better person? Would you improve your life? I'll spend your life in the hopes of improving others. Or would you just be a total sleazy scumbag? I mean, I I, I mean, I know it's more rhetorical than anything, but I guess that just depends on the circumstances. And, if I'm know, in a loop, that's one thing. But if I am get to yeah. go through each day and I know I'm not going to die, that's two totally different things. True. And, I mean, that's one of the things, too. Phil, Co- Phil Connors had to become a better person to get out of this loop. Yeah. And he, and to be so. fair, he did. He, he grew really, really well. He became the hero of the town. The most helpful, considerate, you know. Uh, yeah. And on this day, an angel gathered his wings. It was very. It's a wonderful life, about and, it. and he did it all on his own terms too. Like he wasn't. He wasn't guided, and he wasn't. It wasn't pr- pretentious. It was absolutely genuine. It was like one day he thought, you know what, those ice sculpting folks look cool. I, I wonder how to do that. Yeah, and did it. I, I wonder how to play the piano. Yep, and did it. Oh man, that kid fell out of a tree and broke his leg. I wonder if I could get back there and. I wonder if I can help him. Yeah. You know, and it, it was very, very. You know, he, 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 he. He, give the old man soup, you know, yeah. just fix the spare tire on the lady's car. It's almost like that last day, that last loop. That he'd gone through this rehearsal so many times, and there were days where he couldn't fix the tire, or he, the old guy had died before he gave the soup. It's like everything fell into place that one day because he timed everything as right as he could. Right, right. Um, it does talk about morality, because Phil Connors was not a guy anybody liked. And that's that's heavily implied in the op- in the first act. He was easily agitated and very self-absorbed, you know, self-centered. He he had he had a very very high ego. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. It was, I am so great, look at me, ain't I awesome? Why aren't you worshipping at my feet? I am Phil Connors, weatherman extraordinaire. How dare you not recognize my genius? Yeah, it, it was kind of an extension of um, his character on Ghostbusters, really. Like, kind of yeah. a continuation from that. Because oh, yeah. he, he was he was really cocky in that movie, but it, it almost worked for him because he was able to um, get with Sigourney Weaver's character. And in fact, looking back at, up until that point, at least, Bill Murray's characters. And a lot of Bill Murray's characters are self-centered, self-serving, selfish people. Yeah. A kingpin. Kingpin, I think, is... Oh, Lord. Is, yeah. I forgot about him and that, yeah. And that that just urn, came to me right now. Big urn with his comb-over. We will talk about Kingpin in a later episode, and believe me, we will. I love that movie. Oh, that's a great movie. Um, but here's the thing. For all the, for all the good that Phil Connors, the old credit he's given at the end of the movie, one thing that's always overlooked, and that is he... He interrogates very gently, but he interrogates every day certain things about Rita. He learned, he, he basically data mined her brain. And then put it all into action. Now, it. I think by the end of the movie, it was a genuine, it wasn't just him trying to get into it was, pants. It, it wasn't was a, a ploy. It was, yeah. I literally like this person a lot, love this person. But at the same time, how he got the information, he did manipulate it, for lack of a better term. Because let's take the bar scene, right? He goes, oh, yeah. uh, I want Jim Beam, ice, and water. And she goes, oh, sweet vermouth, rocks with a twist. And you could see him do, look up into the corner mentally, of his eyes, mouth it, mentally make a note. Yeah. And then in the next loop, he orders a drink. And long yeah. and behold, was the order. No, and then later on, um, she she says, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she said something. No chocolate he, ice cream. And he repeated it. And then later on, um, in one of the failure loops with her, she uh, she thought she accused him of like calling up all her friends yeah. and asking him what she liked and what she didn't like. Definitely. And yeah, so she was she was uh, intuitive to that in that sense, you know. But it just it now looking back, it just seems a little, ugh, you know. Yeah. A little little scummy. Um, a lot of a lot of religious groups also took an interest in, it. and I guess it, again I mentioned earlier some people believe it's Phil's own personal purgatory. That he yeah. died on February first, and this you know he had to become a better person to go to the promised land, right? Uh, be that heaven, uh, reincarnation, whatever. Um, a lot of meditative groups and religious groups bombarded Harold Ramis with questions after this. He was expecting them to completely utterly tear him a new one. But they were prayed. They they praised him basically. Yeah, they they yeah. thought it was it was absolutely fantastic, um, and a lot of metaphysical groups too. Just you know. Again, a, a very, very unique concept, and I'm, I know I've said, we've said this a few times, but a very, very unique concept, and very, yeah. very, you know, when you have nothing to go on, and you write something that pretty much nails it the first time, that's that's a pretty big compliment, because he did nail all of these elements, because, again, nothing had been done. Yes, there have been movies with time loops, but it's usually go to the future, go to the past. It was very rarely stationary. The time yeah. was, it was, you know... The only the only thing I can think of that did something like that was a Star Trek Next Generation episode. Yeah, yeah, where, you know, I the, vaguely remember the that. The card game and the three and the they start, but they started becoming self aware of what yeah. was happening. Whereas in his loop, he was the only, the only one, one that was aware it. that it was. Yeah, and that was actually in one of the original drafts of the movie is that Phil would wake up on February third. I'm out of my time loop, and Rita is stuck in her own one. Oh wow! So I guess I don't know. They were thinking sequel. Uh, <laughs> which was un- which, believe it or not, kids was unusual back in 1993. Very rarely you got a sequel to a lot of these movies. Which is in- interesting. I don't. I don't know. I I think a, a sequel to this one could have been what well, probably been very contrived. Yeah, I don't think of, it would have been. Yeah. Kind of like Forrest Gump two that was written and on the cards. 
Yeah. Which is through the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, no thanks. So some, I mean, normally I would look at some famous quotes, but this wasn't a quotable movie in the traditional sense. Yeah, no. You'd have to watch the scene to get the quote, I think. Like, you know, with, with, with other movies, you could say, you know, what does Marcellus Wallace look like? And you know what we're talking about. <laughs> this is more, it was more famous for its scenes yeah, rather than its quotes. Like Ned Ryson, all his scenes, somebody walked away exasperated. Needle Ned. Needle nose Ned Ned the head with yeah. a whistling belly button trick. Bing! Uh, <laughs> the car chase on the tracks. And also the, uh, the groundhog driving the car. Yes. Don't drive well, angry. Don't yeah. you drive angry. And then so, of... so there's some quotable things, but they don't make sense unless they're interlaced with yes. the scene. I think the only thing that was really, really quotable was after the car scene chase, but then you've got to put the car scene chase in that. No, like I said, they're all yeah. interlaced to... But ask, you know, asking the police for uh, three, three triple cheeseburgers and some flapjacks. Uh, yeah. A <laughs> um, couple of interesting things. The scenes at the restaurant where the exposition was, was held, for lack of a better term, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm one of the people who like exposition in movies. I don't care if, if people don't. But it kind of explained what you didn't see as to kind of push the loop forward that he's been there even longer than you actually think think it is. Because if it's just 38 days, it's like, eh, it's, that's a month. But, you know. Um, yeah, but it's definitely years. So you could tell. And a lot, and all of the scenes that were basically just Bill Murray and Andy McDowell. Yeah, those the, are the, some, the of the, some of the, like in the diner, especially when yeah. he's... He tells her that he is a god, not the god, a god. A god. I have been shot, stabbed, electrocuted, yep. poli- you know, poisoned. Yeah, and it's just it's again she she doesn't get as much credit as she deserves for this movie. And, you, and and I think the reason for that she did such a good job that she just kind of fit right into the movie. Yeah, that people didn't even really they didn't notice what a good job she did because she did such a good job. Yeah, and he. Bill Murray did such a good job. And I just, I'm trying to think of who at that time who could have been, you know, I, I can't see someone like, say, Sandra Bullock doing, doing such a good job. No. You know, but then again, she did a great job in Demolition Man. One of the greatest movies ever made. Speed I don't care. Speed 2. She was really good in Speed. Not Speed 2, but Speed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody was good in Speed 2. Yeah, Speed 2 was, yeah. Speed 2 should have been consigned to the uh, script writer, yes, I think. The Speed, Speed was actually a really original idea, too. Yeah. And that's something we will be talking about in a couple of, we- a couple oh, of weeks, a awesome. couple of months, because yeah, the... you can't talk about 90s movies without talking about speed. And you want to talk about quotable quotes. There's a bomb on the bus. Yes. If Come... the bus goes under 55, the bus explodes. Oh, Love good. It. Ke- the only problem with that movie is Keanu Reeves showing all the raw emotional range of a teaspoon. Whoa. It's like, okay, dude, Ted is, is a long way away. Um, so in my opinion... This is definitely a 9 out of 10 movie. It does have some flaws, but 9 out of 10, I think, is... is, is... Yeah, and that's, I, for me, that's um, um, the, the, the delivery, the originality, yes. the, um, the cinematography, the directing. Definitely, it's, it's in my top five all-time favorite movies, bar none, so I agree with that. It, it is up there with me, too. It is, it is one of my favorite movies. It's definitely one of my favorite uh, comedy movies. That's, po- that's because it was well-written... And in a movie like this, the continuity was kept. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that all comes down to shooting, like those bar scenes. Yeah. They shot all those bar scenes one after another. Yeah. You Just know. to keep everything flowing. That so way, everybody was that in way the same Andy, mentality. Andy doesn't have to move her chair. It's in the same spot. 
blah 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 blah. You know. So while we're doing our, we, while we're doing a different, this like picture in picture. While we're doing something different over here, you guys just act the same way you acted ten seconds ago. Yep. Or you they know? wouldn't include other people. Yeah. They would keep it uh, like a tight shot just on them. You yeah. Know, it was very very brilliantly done. This is, again, it's not a laugh a minute movie. But it is funny. It's it is, funny. It's it's intelligently funny. Yes, it's there's, very underrated in its humor. There's the jokes are really dry and kind of deep. Like some of them, you know, like I saw this movie when I was about ten years old, and a lot of the jokes I didn't get until I was well an adult, you know, or into my late teens. But that's that's a that's a sign of a movie that ages well. Yeah. Like I said, I you know every time I watch it, I still I still see and hear things that I didn't pick up the time before, which is another great thing. It's like a good book, you know. It is highly thought-provoking. I mean, you know, I mean, we've just spent, what, 45 minutes talking about how religious groups and gurus Pray, and every, meditative, you know. All different types of people have praised it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely on another level in terms of its impact of not just being a great movie, but in, in society, too. You know, and, and it did help the careers of everybody involved who already were established, but it just showed what, you know, what else they could do. This isn't Leslie Nielsen in Airplane playing it straight. This is, you know, with a wink and nod to the camera of, yes, we're really making a funny movie here. You couldn't tell that they were, tr- they weren't trying to be funny. They just were funny. It was organic. Yes. 100%. Yes. Bill Murray and Chris Elliott, their performances were really, really good. Andy McDowell's performances was really, really good. Very good. Um, It does have a legacy. I mean, Groundhog Day is now, you know, it's used intertwined with Deja Vu. Yeah, as I would say, it's, a, it's synonymous with it. Absolutely. It's like, you know, same shit, different day, Yeah, basically. Yep. Um, it is seen as a date movie, but again, I don't feel comfortable as a date movie with knowing that he did manipulate Rita. Sure. In, in, in to, it's like somebody who reads, who, who, who sits somebody's house, reads the person's diary, then uses that information to become the husband or something like well, that. Well, you know, you got to realize that at that point, it had been a couple years he'd been in that loop. I'm sure he was True. getting kind of lonely. And, and, so he had to, and he only had one day to make it happen. Yeah. And, and at a time, and I'm not trying to justify no, no, it. No, just no. saying, you know, and it could be considered forgivable too in that regard because yes, it it wasn't like he found out everything on in, in her mind. He knew everything in in a certain day, but for him, it was a lifetime of accruing information. He might, and he could have got ninety percent of the information about her organically, or he could have just <clears throat> stormed in a room and ripped all her clothes off. So I mean, yeah. So you know, so I mean, right. it could you know could have could have been could have been a lot worse. But sadly, this was the last time that Harold Ramis and Bill Murray would work together, and in fact, they only patched things up when he was close to death, which is tragic. Yeah, really. that's sad. I mean, but they uh, the good thing is is that they did make up, and you know, they they were friendly before Harold Ramis passed away, which was a complete loss to comedy and filmmaking. Yeah. Definitely. He was a great writer, he was a great director, and a great producer. Probably one of the greatest comedy directors and producers of all time. And really, a really, really nice guy. Definitely. Well, that looks like it's it for this week. But again, Greg, it's awesome to have you on here. Again, the invitation is open, as always. Always this pleasure. This is probably one of the greatest movies of all time. If you have not watched it, go look on whatever streaming service tickles you fancy. If it's not on there, go find it on DVD or VHS or Carrier Pigeon or Reel to Reel, whatever you got to do. If you've not seen it, I'm telling you, you are missing out. You can rent it on YouTube for $3. There you go. What are you going to spend that 3 bucks on? A large coffee? No. You can have a movie that lasts a lifetime in your memory. Yeah, definitely. So, definitely worth the watch. 
All right, but it's great to have you on, man. Thank you very much. No and problem. And that's it for this segment, I guess. I don't know how to end it. We're just going to end it there. We call it good. <laughs> we just loop it back to the beginning. Yeah, that's probably what I'll do. Review Corner, the big screen. This week on Review Corner, we take a look at one of the best movies. That was our review of Groundhog Day. A very sincere thanks to Greg Gregory for taking the time out of his day to talk about Groundhog Day with us. Uh, We really do appreciate it. I just wanted to send our congratulations to uh, Greg and Adam of the Holodex and the Holodex themselves. We recently had in this area of town the Architects Music Awards. And the Holodex did really, really well. They won uh, Rock Band of the Year. Greg won Bassist of the Year. And the Holodex drummer, Adam Pike, won Drummer of the Year. And from everyone here at the Because Maybe podcast, we want to congratulate everybody. And if you were in this area of the world when they're playing dates, and if you've looked on their website, I can honestly say it's a great show. You guys will enjoy every single second of it. So congratulations to everyone involved, and congratulations to the Holodex. You know, keep up the great work, lads. You're doing a great job. Uh, we are back with some 90s trivia. It's been a couple of weeks and we've missed some certain things. Let's face it, October was not really a great month for uh, 90s trivia, but November already looks like it's going to be fantastic. We're going to be looking at November 5th through November 11th, and we start off with the 6th of November 1991, where Madonna released Justify My Love. Uh, The video was immediately banned by MTV. To be honest, now looking at it, it's kind of tame in this day and age from what it was back then. But, whew, yeah, it was a uh, it was a big, big, big controversy when it was released. Uh, that same day, Whitney Houston released I'm Your Baby Tonight, which kind of was the uh, rocket strapped to her, which landed her the role in The Bodyguard and that album and just, you know, whew, yeah, it, it went from there. A year later, on the 7th of November 1991, Magic Johnson became the first major celebrity to announce that he suffers from HIV and subsequently retires from basketball. He wouldn't be the first celebrity to announce that this month, but uh, fortunately Magic is still with us. Sadly, the other who made the announcement is not, and we'll explain in a couple of weeks. Uh, Also that week, on the 11th of November 1991, Genesis released We Can't Dance, which is their last album with Phil Connors on vocals. Uh... (laughs) Yes, I know, that one was on purpose too. Uh, you know, this is the last album with Phil Collins on vocals in any way, shape, or form. Decent album. I'm not a Genesis fan, I'm not a Phil Collins fan, but, you know, there you go. Uh, Enter the Wu-Tang was released in 1993 on November 9th by the Wu-Tang Clan. What a great album that is. It, it really is. If you haven't listened to it, go ahead and listen to it. I'm not a big rap guy, but, you know, it's a great album. Uh, a year later, on the 8th of November in 1994, the Eagles released... Hell Freezes Over, the live album. For people to understand that, uh, when the Eagles originally broke up, they said it would be Hell Freezes Over before they played together again, while Hell froze over in about 15 years. On the 11th of November, two movies were released that were really, really good in different ways. Uh, The Interview with the Vampire, great, great movie, fantastic. If you've never seen it, go ahead and watch it. And if you have children, The Santa Claus. Now, I know you're thinking, those two don't go together but they do i mean the original santa claus was a really really good kids christmas movie it's just the sequels that sucked uh in 1995 on november 6th queen released made in heaven which featured the final recordings of freddie mercury we jump forward a couple of years to the 7th of november 1997 again two movies were released that were kind of different only this time they weren't as relevant or as good uh you had starship troopers and you had the mr bean movie bean if you're an American and your experience of Mr. Bean is this movie, you do not realize how bad 
the Bean movie was. It was bad. It, you know, he went from... The character that was in the movie was this bumbling idiot who was humble and he didn't do things out of malice and he was you know he 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 was just he was a buffoon and he didn't mean to cause mistakes and you know he was he was a bumbling idiot and a lovable likable fool whereas the tv show he was the most intelligent selfish mean spirited ugly human being you could think of who would do nothing who, who would think of nothing when somebody was in their way you know um, in one of the episodes he to get a comic book he pulled a glass of water over a child and make his mother think that he peed himself you know but the movie, eh, wasn't that good. And, you know, what can you say? Plus, it featured a cover of Yesterday that should never have been recorded. Although, you know, what wet, wet fans will tell you something different. Uh, on the 6th of November, 1998, The Waterboy is released. Um, stereotypes are never a good thing. However, I can say that they're pretty accurate with the stereotypes in The Waterboy of some people living in Louisiana. Whew, not the people I know. The people I know are great. It's just some of the things that you've seen around uh, around the Walmart and, and the... Mo- Ooh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and finally, on the 10th of November, 1999, Sesame Street aired a 30th anniversary special. Um, it's hard to believe that that institution now is going on 50 years. Um, it's, a, it's a great, great franchise, in my opinion. And, you know, believe it or not, it is highly cutting edge even to this day. It does talk about subjects that uh, have been skirted around in other TV shows, and, you know, it does teach kids how to develop their emotions. Now, aside from Elmo, that is. I mean, I'm not an Elmo fan, but, I mean, you know, some of the things... I mean, recently they did an episode on autism. I mean, you know, what other TV shows are doing that? You know, and that's a good thing that they're doing it. And, you know, may they continue, and may they continue breaking down barriers in terms of what is appropriate and what's not appropriate for kids to talk about. So, it's November. And if you have looked at our Facebook page recently, you have seen that I am growing the world's most creepiest mustache. I'm not going to lie, guys. It looks, with the long hair, with the long mad scientist hair that I've been growing, yeah, it's, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I, I look very, very creepy. I look like, you know, I shouldn't be within, you know, yeah. Uh, it's, it's bad. It's, it's, but it's, a, it's for a great cause, though. You know, again, it's for a fantastic cause. Um, you know, we're looking to donate. I was looking originally to donate a hundred bucks, but you know what? The wife has a higher opinion of me than I do, and she has a high opinion of you guys too. And that's why we're looking to raise two hundred and fifty bucks. I'm putting twenty five bucks in, uh, very very soon, and I'm looking for you to just you know look. Let's 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 not beat around the bush. We've all will spend five bucks, five quid, five whatever your currency is in your area of the world. On something stupid in the next 24 days. And why not, for the price of a cup of coffee, donate? And, you know, that way, you know, you have a clear conscience. And, you know, you do something good for uh, men's mental health and men's physical health. Um, You know, testicular cancer, prostate cancer, and men's mental illnesses are not spoken about enough. Uh, You know, the cancers in particular... Uh, you know, are, are devastating as, as, as all get up, but the mental health problems, you know, are not spoken about, like, at all. It's like, you know, we, we are told we just need to man up and deal with it, like, you know, like somebody with a broken leg has gone, man, I just need you to tell me my leg isn't broken, you know, wow, I never thought of that, you know, people with severe depression, suicidal thoughts, schizophrenia, they, they don't look at you and go, man, you're absolutely right, I should just think I'm not happy. And you know, stupidity, absolute stupidity. Um, you know, let's 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 do what we can. 
Look, I guarantee there is someone in your life who is male who does need the extra shove, does need the extra motivation to get themselves healthily checked out. Um, I myself, as of the day of release, I'm going for my annual physical checkup. And, you know, if something bad happens, then... <laughs> uh, but, you know, nothing bad's going to happen. But um, I hope anyway. But I'm, I'm at least proactive and I'm going to go ahead and check this out. There are some guys who haven't been to a doctor for a routine checkup for many, many years. And they just, you know, they won't do it. And they're having a bad time. They've got, you know, some folks have voices in their heads or feeling very, very miserable. And they don't know why. And we need to encourage more and more men to look after themselves. And, you know, I think this is a great way to do it. And, you know, I, for one, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And I'm also putting hair where my mouth is so that we can get this going. But, again, donate what you can. It's a great cause. The link is in the description if you want to donate to our personal page. And, again, it's a great cause. And I look forward to each and every one of you helping out with that. So, again, if you guys are on social media, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr because maybe podcasts. And check out our YouTube channel for this week's extra episode. All of that is in the description. This week's social media question. We didn't ask it in the main section. And maybe I should have. Maybe I should. I don't know. Uh, it's the second time I've done that. Uh, but definitely the question is this. If you had to relive a day over and over again. What day would it be? Now I'm not talking about the day your kid was born. Or the day you got married. Or the happiest days of your life. That involve somebody else. And what you're supposed to say. I'm talking about the days that you would love to just go over and over and over and over. Uh, my personal one, I have two days that I would relive over and over again, and they both revolve around music. Uh, one would be the day that we performed the best gig that I think we did in the band that I was in. Uh, we were called Crocodile, great, great band, great, great band name. I had some great memories. Uh, it was like our third or fourth gig. Uh, there was a, an event at the building we were playing in just before we got there, and a lot of those guys stuck around, and we had a really, really great big audience, it was a really, really good show, and I enjoyed every single minute of that. Uh, the second one would be um, just basically the night my favorite gig of all time was. Uh, that was Ben Folds playing here in Shreveport, Louisiana. Fantastic gig. Uh, if you were a Ben Folds fan... We were the horn section, you know, yeah, and you understand what I mean if, if you are a Ben Folds fan. But what is your day? What is the day you'd like to look at and go, man, I'd love to relive that again and again and again and again. Next week, we have our first book review. Uh, I haven't done a book review in a long, long time, but I figured, you know, what the heck, I'd get one out the door. So the book that we're going to be looking at next week, Trainspotting by Irvin Welsh. We're going to be going through the themes, the characters, the writing style. And why I think it's the best book published in the 90s. Uh, I will be flying solo for the first time in a couple of weeks. And on the one hand, I enjoy doing the conversations with everybody else. You know, I think it's, you know, it's a great way to bounce back and forth here. My opinion and an opinion of someone else. But at the same time, these individual shows where I'm the only one speaking are a lot easier to produce. And with the holidays just around the corner and with, you know, again, this isn't my full-time gig. But at my full-time gig, everything's getting busy. You know, I've got more downtime. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to returning to just the microphone by myself. And I hope you are, too. And if not, don't worry. We are going to have uh, more episodes in the upcoming weeks with other folks involved. But for now, I think we've been here long enough. I wish everybody a fantastic day, a fantastic night, no matter when you listen to it, where you listen to it. And I look forward to speaking to you guys again next week.
Review Corner, The Big Screen. This week on Review Corner, we take a look at one of the best movies.